Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Greetings, Dave. Um, Greetings. <laughs> six, six mod revival bands. Mod revival them, bands. Mod revival. Five of them bona fide, and one a figment of my very occasionally fertile imagination. Can you spot the ringer? All right? Six mod revival bands. Okay, go on. Cigarettes. Uh, right. You're right. He's down. Yeah, better. Aren't All right. Uh, we got go. the cigarettes. Ooh. Small hours. Yeah. Eyes down, no conferring. Go on. Go on. <laughs> Squire. Squire, yeah. Yeah. Dog tooth. Dog tooth. The uh, risk. Oh god. And oh. the retreads. Good grief. Well, the only one I know for definite were real is Squire. That's right, they were. They were real. Yes, I so, know them too, actually. The cigarettes, the risk, dog tooth, dog tooth. Well, that, but, yeah, I thought that was a, a reference, tailoring reference, uh, but it's actually hound's tooth check they talk about, don't they? Not dog tooth. So no, dog in mod, I, I think in fact, you'll find you're wrong there. In mod, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mod clothing pattern, dog tooth. Oh, I just thought it was look. hound's tooth. No, no, they call it dog tooth. Oh, okay. So that may be real, or it may be you making it up. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to say the risk are made up. The risk. Do you know, I feel bad about that. I've talked you out of it. <laughs> it is dog tooth. <laughs> it is dog tooth. But I was looking at mod clothing, and dog tooth came up a lot of dog tooth patterns. And I thought it sounded a bit, uh, a bit you know, like a band trying too hard to be. Well, it sounds, it sounds like a, it sounds like a heavy metal group, really, doesn't it? It does the a word, bit. The word dog. dog in it. I was uh, going to go for the Crombies or the Harringtons or State no, right. Pressed, but actually, State Pressed did exist. There was a group called State Pressed. Was there really? Yeah, there was. Yeah, well, that'd be trademark. You wouldn't be allowed to do uh, that. No, no. Okay, I'm coming back at you. Go on. Rappers. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Hip hop stars. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. Yep. Froggy Fresh. <laughs> Gangster Boo. 
ridiculous. Ridiculous is ridiculous is brilliant. That's got a Z in it, I assume. No. And filthy rich. Filthy rich. Oh, these are brilliant. So fabulous, 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 froggy fresh, fresh, gangster boo, ridiculous, and filthy rich. Okay, gangster boo's got to be real because it's so absurd. It's got to be real. Froggy fresh, I think, might be equally gauche and daft. Fabulous isn't quite exciting enough to to be something you've made up. Ridiculous is great. As is filthy rich. Uh, filthy rich is is a, the wonderful kind of irony that a lot of uh, rap names have. I'm going to go for ridiculous. Yeah, that's you're the right. made up one. Am you're I right? right? It's oh right. my it, lord! It's Pinch from uh, Thirty Rock, the Tina Fey series. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all talking about you know they're fans of a rapper called Ridiculous. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that, was, that was a great. Name. That is a great name. Like fabulous, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, oh, okay. Well, I didn't do What's very well. What's the name of the rapper that, uh, oh, I've completely forgotten that, that, uh, that Jack Black plays? Um, oh, I don't know. Oh, well, come to me in a minute. Yeah, yeah, Ridiculous is good. <laughs> all the rest are real. Froggy Vrash, Gangster Boo, Filthy Rich, Fabulous. Yeah, all real. Part of, you know, uh, hip-hop, you can't make it up, can you, really? You can't make it up. You, you can't Froggy make it Fresh up. is fantastic. Talking of hip-hop and thing, things being made up, um... Oh, damn, I've print this out, and uh, I've left it over there. Um, this morning, uh, Kanye West announced that he is withdrawing his, <laughs> his attempt to run for president of the United States in, the, you know, in this year's election. This is, this is two weeks after he announced that he was going to do it. Yeah. And I just thought... For flakiness, this is a, it's kind of a new world record, isn't it, this? You know, that you announce out of nowhere you're going to run for president of the United States, even though everybody knows you can't, you're too late practically, apart from anything else. You know, Far too late. You have to put in your nomination papers <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever you have to All do. All he knows, you've got the money. And uh, and so he does it, he says he's going to do it, and then two weeks later he goes, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Change your uh, I had a look at it and I thought, actually, it's quite hard work. And, <laughs> and, and it doesn't look a lot of fun some of yeah. the time. You occasionally yeah. get things wrong and people don't like you for it. You think, what is going on in the head of Kanye West? That, that, <laughs> and also, and also I'll tell you what, the other thing is, there's clearly nobody in his orbit who could go, Kanye, just, this is me, your old mate, your manager, or whatever, talking. Not a good idea. Don't do that. You know, it just kind of, I suppose it's social media, isn't it? You know, the kind of wildest ideas just are published straight away, aren't they? You don't have to go through anybody else to do them. They're out there. If you get out of bed thinking you want to run for president of the United States, you do it. Could he have just randomly tweeted that at two o'clock in the morning? I think he probably did. With his manager, he probably well, did. Like, oh, yeah, well, that's how things are announced nowadays, isn't it? You know, you don't need to go through any intermediaries. So, yeah, that's that's all the hip-hop news we got for this week. Um, <laughs> so, TV, right? Live oh, Aid. Oh, all right. Did you, you watch? I got a text on whatever it was, Friday night, was it? Or Saturday night, Friday night. Think, um, saying turn on BBC Two, they're rerunning the old doc. Oh, god, that you and I were on, and I don't know if you saw any. Did no. you see any of it? No, no, no. And I saw the second half, it's I thought it was quite interesting. You know, a documentary made in 2005 about Live Aid, and the things you know, various things struck me. One was the extraordinary respect for royalty, royalty, and I don't know if it's royalty or just Lady Die. I mean, people were so exercised about the royal couple being there 
And I think actually the world was just besotted with Lady Di at the time, weren't they? They were enthralled her. Do you remember that she was, there's a bit of news uh, uh, probably made up that she had roller skated down the corridors of, of uh, Kensington yeah. Palace, listening to Duran Duran on her walk. And uh, which is the first time in England really connected a you member see, of the royal family with pop music. So we're, and she actually looked like a member of Duran Duran. We're talking about, what are we talking about, 1985? 1985. Okay. Uh, she was the most famous person of the 80s, wasn't she? Yeah. Internationally. So yeah. She, she was more famous than all the pop stars who were on Live Aid. Completely, because there's a bit at the beginning, which I didn't remember, actually, where, where they film everybody lining up to meet her. And they are so excited. And they're all there. David Bowie's there. Queen's there. You know, everyone's there. And they talk about what it's like. And they say that she was mildly flirtatious with everybody. It's fantastic. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. uh, Bob Geldof changed his slot. He was. He 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 told. He kicked uh, Midge off and told him it was a technical problem. Could he take the early slot? And could Midge go on later? Just so he could perform in front of Lady Di. Really? Yeah, yeah, a pretty mean trick, actually. Also, it, nonsensical, because actually the later slot would have been far better, because the later Live Aid got, the bigger the audience was. But I suppose... Oh, God, that's the other thing we should talk about, the size of the audience. I, so, I suppose also, just uh, one more thing on The Princess of Wales. This is before giving interviews to Martin Bashir. This is before... Um, the era that we're in now, where we we expect all members of the royal family, apart from her Madge, to be on the telly all the time talking about their feelings and, and you know and what's going on in the world. Yeah. In 1985, that didn't happen, and so consequently, you know, on the the old pop star wisdom is that if you want to, your mystique to grow, don't talk to the media. Well, she didn't in those days, did she? She did. She did later. Yeah. When, she, when she done it later, you're a lot less, uh, you know, a lot less excited. So if, you know, Prince Harry appears in your front garden nowadays, you draw the curtains, don't you, really? <laughs> it's kind of... It's just, you walk uh, with exciting. an angry fist. <laughs> it's just not exciting anymore, is it? It's not just me. No, um, absolutely. Whereas in 1985, it kind of was. It was. It was thrilling. So yeah, that's that's. It was thrilling. The case. So yeah, the numbers. The was, numbers. There was a thing that I, I think I said yesterday. I'd seen in the Times, where the Times had printed forty percent uh, of the global population. Of the population. So I thought, where did they get that from? So I, I just googled Live Aid. Of course, they get it from Wikipedia. Wikipedia says that 1.9 billion people. 40% of the global population watched it in 150 countries. I mean, I can't think of a statistic that is more colossally wrong. 200, sorry, 2,000 million people in 150 countries apparently had access to television and simultaneously turned on live aid. That's just so far off the truth. I mean, a lot of those countries didn't show it live anyway. They only had edits, didn't they? And uh, I told you, I've told you the story about when I went to... Uh, Ethiopia. Oh, you did. Years, That's right. Ten years after Live Aid, and and was in Tigray, which is the centre, the epicentre of the fa- the famine, talking to farmers who'd been young farmers at the time, uh, who remembered the the famine and talking. My translator was a was a kind of aid worker, uh, and he was Ethiopian, and spoke excellent English. And kind of utterly au fait with the whole thing, and I had to put questions through these through him. And I said, "Can you ask them if they've ever heard of Bob Geldof?" I'm just interested. And he turned to me. He turned to me and said, 
Who's Bob, Bob Geldof? And I thought, well, if somebody professionally involved in famine relief in the country where it was targeted hadn't heard the name, yeah, yeah there you're rather overestimating the, you know, the kind of shockwaves going through, I don't know, Nigeria or Sudan or South Africa or whatever, you know, at the it's time. something you know. massively blown up, particularly by this country, because it mostly was part of this country, it was run Absolutely. by people in this country and featured yeah. people in this country. But yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. And the, the other thing I forgot was the unseemly uh, race between Jagger and Keith Richards to get on the bill, because you remember the Rolling Stones didn't really exist at this time. We didn't know that then. But the Rolling Stones from 82 to 87 didn't really exist. Mick Jagger had kind of effectively left the group. Keith told me this in an interview. Well, he know, they put that. out two, he put out two solo albums which didn't. Uh, didn't but they did uh, that. One dirty work came out in the middle of that period, didn't it? I think it did. But they certainly were daggers drawn. Uh, that that relationship. And then Mick got on the bill with with Tina Turner, didn't he? And then he got the, in the video with with David Bowie. And then Keith managed to pole vault right over him into the into the pole position of finishing the show for better or worse. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I thought that was, and the other thing was extraordinary is the age. You know, the, 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 at the time there was a kind of old young hierarchy that existed. That's wasn't the there? thing. There was, there was kind of the, the, the old guard. Paul McCartney was forty three. Yes. Um, you know, Mick Jagger was forty two. Freddie Mercury was thirty eight. Bowie thirty seven. You thought of those guys, Rick Parfit thirty six. You thought of those guys as washed up old guard living on borrowed time. It was almost over. And yet, you know, the age difference between them and the Adam Ant was thirty one. So he was only just very slightly younger than that. And so now, I think if you had a live aid tomorrow, unimaginable, but if you did, you know, you'd have Britney Spears at 38. She'd be 38. She'd be virtually, you know, there are Spice Girls who are 48. Kylie Minogue is 52. You know, uh, it, it, <laughs> she you really. Know, yeah, yeah. McCartney is 78 and Jagger's 77. Tom York would be now, he's 52, would be 10 years older than McCartney would have been then. And he would be one of the sort of young guys, wouldn't he? Morrissey is nearly 20 years older than McCartney. Isn't it funny how that kind of, that, that, I think that whole hierarchy has disappeared now. I don't think we think it of has. the old guys. Well, you see, in 1985... Was, in 1985 going. In 1985, there were kind of two generations, weren't there? There was uh, uh, the ones who, who, who were the driving force behind Live Aid were the Geldofs, the Mitchells, the you know, Duran Duran's uh, culture clubs and so forth. They're all the people who come, they, they're all come along in the late 70s, early 80s, and they appeared to be seizing the world. You know what I mean? And they invited in these washed up old guys. Yeah. You know. Knackered old kids. Knackered old kids. Oh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. We haven't even you, thought about it for years. You could, you could do a tune, you know, all these people. And of course, the great irony was that the the ones who were brought into the fold, the old gits, went on to flood to 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 stole the show, stole the show, and have had another fabulous career thirty-five all years. Over, absolutely, all they rebooted over. their careers and ended the careers of a lot of other ones. Well, they also, you know, you, I mean, you, you know, forget, you look Nick at Kershaw, the, you know, Nick Kershaw, Howard Jones. I'm sure the careers haven't. Of course, they're still going, but I mean, they were big deals at the time. But, you know? but you look at the big stars, the the younger stars, you know, the kind of the Shah days, you know, people like that. Yeah. Have they, do they have any hits after after that? No, no. I mean, she has pretty solid album sales. Doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That, but I'm just, I, I don't think she goes out and tours or does any kind of live promotion or anything like that. But I mean, she's kind of she's gone off the radar, hasn't she? Completely. But, but I mean, just generally, that generation of groups, it was kind of it was as far as they got got up. 
Whereas yeah. they boot, rebooted the 60s, the people who come through in the 60s into, as you say, another 35 years or mm-hmm. something. You know, it's like, they, there ought to be a special a, in a branch of mathematics devoted to the study of this. They were talked about it the other week. You know, it's now 50 years since Bob Dylan's self-portrait. It's 50 years since Bob Dylan was washed up. <laughs> was was it was all over? Oh yeah, later period. It's now 50 years. 50 years later, <laughs> and, he's, and he's got a number one album. He's got a number yeah, one bloody record. <laughs> Everybody's falling over themselves. How good is? Which indeed yeah. it is. It's yeah. It's, it's, know, it's so uh, yeah, it kind of redrew the mathematics of popular music, didn't it? That whole thing. Uh, and Cat Stevens, what would have happened to him? He was there. Well, I, I was talking. That I, I was sorry, but they, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna let something drop here. Uh, I Cat Stevens <laughs> I dropped a, a name. Um, I was talking to Cat Stevens only the other day. <laughs> as I, you do. As you do. Uh, about about Live Aid, and I said, "Do you think you know you could have had another kind of another go round, you know?" Because for loads of people, it was. He said, "No, I was on my way out to that point. I wasn't." But he was there. The point is, he was there. Oh, he was there. He was at there. Wembley Stadium, and you and I saw him. He was on our schedules. He was on our schedule. He was actually part of the program. Yeah, he was, he was there. in the afternoon. But he he didn't do it because he, he didn't have a guitar, and he was he was going to. What was he going to do? Read a- oh, uh, I can't tell you, Mark. It's uh, it's copyright information. Yeah. Go see the radio. All right, okay. <laughs> All right. but uh, you know, he. I, I did say, you know, do you ever think about it? And he's a very kind of. He doesn't live in the material world, does he? Really, as <laughs> Tim Yusuf, uh, you Not know, remotely. he doesn't look at it in career terms. You know, he said, "No, I wasn't bothered really. I was getting away from that kind of thing." Which, because most people, it would be, he would have eaten them up for thirty-five years since, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, I could have gone on there. And started all over again. Oh, you've got to admire him for not. No, no, absolutely. absolutely. So great television. So great television. Too, too terrible television. Oh right, go on. David Foster. Oh god. Well, I, yeah, I've got. You to, mentioned it to me. Is Owen Parker? I a friend who's a musician. He 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 dropped me an email and says, "Have you seen this David Foster documentary? It's on Netflix." David Foster is a name I kind of vaguely know, but didn't really know much about. And so I watched it in order to, to learn about him. And and if you've if you've ever, like me, wondered who was responsible for all the really terrible overstated <laughs> ballads that you hate but are really popular. Really popular. Really popular. Barbara Streisand. There's your man. Air supply. There's your man. Michael Bublé. Right. Absolutely I know, I know. all of them. I couldn't believe how many he'd done. And he has, you know, he just has a, a feel for, for the terrible taste of the public. He knows exactly where it's based. You know, I watched and, a little bit of that documentary because you were telling me about it's called uh, Off the Record, isn't it? It's on Netflix. Oh, well, there you know. go. Really original title. Yeah, Off, yeah, the, off record. the Record. I don't, do right I, and it was just the most chillingly cold. Oh. And, you know, it's soulless, and it's about it's it's it, it's made by people who celebrate the idea that it's the it, it's about it's about the mechanics of making music. Do you know what I mean? It's about how you produce things and how you get a certain sound and how you manipulate the people you're working with to make something commercial. There's no suggestion that any of this could have any emotional impact at all, is there? Did you get that? Does, 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 does he go into it to produce Chicago? And he says Chicago. Okay. 
Well, here's the deal. If you want me to produce your record, I'm going to play the bass, I'm going to play the keyboards, I'm going to co-write most of the songs, and I'm going to be dictatorial, and you're going to do what I say. And they have to swallow this, and uh, out comes the record. Of course, it's quite successful. Really successful. But they all make a point that it's, it doesn't sound like Chicago. Oh, yeah. he, he couldn't give a monkeys. His job is just to go in there and get the biggest number of people to buy as possible. But it, it's, it's kind of worth seeing because it, it reminds you, it reminded me of what, what my frame of reference is, that, that Celine Dion appears in it. God, that's chilling figure, Celine she Dion. And, terrifyingly uh, thin. And she says, she says, there's only two greats, or something like this. That's right. There's only two greats, David Foster and Quincy Jones. And I, think, I feel like going, I, j- j- just hold on a second, yeah. roll that back a second, Selenium. Yeah. What, what universe do we now yeah, living yeah, in? There yeah, are some others. What, what, what scale did you use to come up with that? You know, there's Quincy Jones and David Foster. And I suppose the answer is a scale is just massive commercial success. It is. You know, it, it, it's as simple as that. There's no, there's no question of... But that's of the kind of yardstick. It's like when people, you know, you read obituaries or somebody's just died, they always sort of say, um, Grammy Award-winning of star. And you just think, is, is that the most important thing, this person won a Grammy? You know, it's, it's, it's the seal of their commercial uh, success that's the important thing, rather than some fabulous song that might have, might have it can connected take, with people. This film features lots of my least favourite people keep popping up. I think it can only be a matter of time before Clive James comes down. Uh, Clive, not Clive James. <laughs> Sorry. We love Clive, Clive James. We love Clive James, the late Clive James. I'm thinking it can only be a matter of time before Clive Davis pops up. And sure enough, yeah, he's there. Art pops Clive Davis. Clive Davis, who was chilling. He oh, is oh, he was really chilling, yeah. and he's the only person I I I, I used to. But <laughs> you know, they, one of the signs of being a music fan is that you don't just—it's not just what you like; it's what you don't like. And I used to. There used to be one record company that I hated. And I actually think I probably still do. Not that record companies really exist anymore. And I used to, I may have a couple of their, of their records on that label behind me there, but they will have been bought, you know, against my better judgment, really. And that is Arista. Oh, I always hated Arista. I always felt Arista just had no kind of grit. Arista had no funk. You know, there was no humour in Arista. And Arista, it's a very successful company in the in the end, thanks to, I don't know, Barry Manilow and all kinds of things. But, you know, but I just never liked, liked it. And Arista was built in the image of Clive Davis. Yeah. And loads of people's careers have been built in the image of Clive Davis. Really successful careers. Whitney Houston, people like that. You know. yeah. Clive Davis does genuinely understand what some people like. But he also, by accident, seems to understand what I loathe. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's one of his priorities, but it's just a kind of side effect of the whole thing, you know. That's uh, so right. But the other thing that's talking about, about that world is there's no humility in it at all. Oh, you know, David at all. Foster was the least likable person. I'm sorry. But there's a bit where he's telling his own story and he talks about playing the piano when he's three or something. And he says to his mother, that's an E you're playing there. 
And he said, you know, I, I, he basically says, I was a genius. Yeah, I was a musical genius. Now, it's not made. It's not for you to say whether you're a genius or not. You know, it's for yeah. other people to say that you're a genius and you to be impossibly modest and, modest and blushing about it. I had none of that, but, with, it. None of that uh, with our Dave. No modesty. Not at all. No modesty, false or otherwise. No. So, you know, if you fancy the evening having your teeth set on edge in front of Netflix, you can't go better. I just watched half an hour of... Uh, What's it called? On the record or off it's the record? On the, it's called oh, no, Off the Record. Yeah, it's oh, on Netflix. And it's, I mean, it's excruciating. Yeah. And and as an antidote, surely go back on. and listen to some of those early Judy, Judy Dibble uh, records. Oh, right. Judy Dibble, I mean, you know, what a, what a wonderful. Well, she died, so she died uh, last week, I think it was, wasn't it? She did. And I mean, I, d- I didn't really know very much about her. She was the original singer in Fairport Convention. Yeah. So first album came out on Polydor and she was the singer. And then she'd been to school with Ashley Hutchinson, she? So she comes so around. She to all the, yeah, she, she went to school very near. Right around the corner from you, actually, yeah. with Green and all that. And, and she went to she she then went to all the folk clubs. She met Richard Thompson, with whom she was going out. I didn't know that she was Richard Thompson's girlfriend. Well, because Richard Thompson was up the road in Finchley. Ashley Hutchinson in Bounds Green, Simon yeah. Nichols Hill, they're all local around here. Um, so that's how that that's how they kind of came together. But between the first album and the second one, she was uh, she was edged out <laughs> in, in a fashion that uh, that you don't normally associate with your matey, you know, your matey uh, re- old real ale, real, real ale. ale quaffing folkies. No, no, you're tree hugging. <laughs> no, no, I thought they, I was a bit shocked. They got rid of her like David Foster would have got rid of her. They it? did. I thought it was so sad. You know, she but, talked about, but, very bravely talks about how I think she just split up with Richard, and they clearly had just met Sandy Denny. Absolutely, because no Sandy Denny was in twenty minutes after she was out. But then she that awful story that she put on her uh, on her website. She wrote her own very very good biog. It's really interesting, and how much she had to fly out for the last gig in, in Rome coming back nobody went to the airport to see her off there's nobody to meet her when she got home can you imagine how you felt kicked out by your old boyfriend and his band going on to great things and she would have been very young uh, at the time god she would have been about what 2021 or something she had three years of of kind of intense activity you know, after that, she met um, Giles, Giles McDonald, Fripp, and all that lot. And she was the, in the original, really, in the original King Crimson, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. You know, she records a version of her recording Talk to the Wind, uh, which you can still get on the, on the internet, which is the second track on the on the um, uh, Crimson King album. Right. And so she was right there. And then she talked about meeting David Gray. I'm coming around to her flat. And how terrifying he was. And, you know, uh, what an odd bloke. And uh, they had a flat. She and her boyfriend in, in Notting Hill. She used to hide when he was around there. But she met absolutely everything. She recorded with Rod Stewart. She formed a band with Lowell Coxhill. You know, she then, there was the Trader Home, that group Trader she formed. Horn, yeah. Trader Horn. Trader Horn, sorry. Trader they, Horn, they, sorry. The, um, but the, the interesting thing that I never knew, that I only learned when reading about her after she died, was that? Or one of the interesting things was she, she married Simon Stable. Simon oh Stable, yes, Simon Stable is a name that kind of got completely lost. But was it Count Simon a, de la Bedoyer or, or something. whatever? What was, his, what was his real name? Uh, right, something something like that. But he was known in the early days of International Times. It's sort of nineteen sixty-seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, possibly. Scene maker. He used to Groover. He he, he reviewed records. And and uh, and they were known as reviewed the records in Simon's stable. 
Get it? Play on words. Simon yeah. Stable, because his name was Simon Stable. And I used to find it really exciting. Because Simon Stable has heard the new Bloodwin Peak album, you know, when nobody else knew or cared. And uh, yeah, so she she married him. And then they kind of, they sort of withdrew. And they, well, didn't she work as a librarian? I think she did. She was a librarian before. And I think she went back to being a librarian after. Late, late in later and life. And she retired and she gave it all up. It's really interesting because so few people do this. Vashti Bunyan did actually come and think of it. Vashti Bunyan was out of it for about 35 years and then came back. But well, she, she had kids, didn't she? So she did, yeah, exactly the same with both of them. And fair enough, you know, wonderfully just thought, right, I'm going to go for a completely different life. Mm. And she eventually, Judy Darbell, went back and I think did something at Crop Reedy with, with Fair Paul Convention and sort yeah, of got did. back into it. She did. But she and Simon used to run, apparently for quite a long time, a tape duplicating company. And I never knew this. So in the days before CD, when you and I would get sent an advance release tape of the new Boontown Rats album on an actual cassette, yeah, that yeah. had probably been produced from their company. It was in Northampton or somewhere like that. Because they probably had to have that stuff done by people that trusted. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't going to sprinkle it around radio stations and you know, get it bootlegged and so forth. And so they had that business for quite a long time. And then she came back and, uh, yeah, as you, as you say, uh, and then, you know, and, and had a bit of a, had a bit of an Indian summer in terms of attention, because that's the interesting thing to me that there's been a lot of comment, you know, post her death and, uh, and the very little comment 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know what I mean? It's all, it just shows how interested all that area has grown and grown and grown over Completely. the years, um, which is amazing. Whole new generations of people going back and listening to all those See, records. Multiple generations of people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, sad for her. So a book I read, Go on, which I right. recommend, Shall I Can Swing by Bruce Lindsay. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. This guy, Bruce Lindsay, has written a, a book about, well, it's about Shellac. It's about the story of the gramophone. Right. And it starts in the late uh, 19th century with the invention of recording, smoked paper, uh, followed by the wax cylinder, and then eventually the the, the, the shellac recording through the kind of uh, through the the funnel directly through the needle and onto the disc, you know. And I discovered just all sorts of interesting things. One is that you kind of think of the idea of portable music as being something quite recent. You know, in my case, it was the battery-operated record player. You click back the arm. Do you remember those? It came out in the mid-60s. Oh, yeah, Go yeah, and yeah. sit in a field and play Blonde on Blonde. You thought, this yeah. is the most amazing thing. I'm playing the music I want to hear in the place I want to hear it at the time I want to hear it, you know. But I mean, otherwise, it's really the cassette and it's the, it's the iPad. You know, it seemed to have kind of changed the thing. But in fact, there were portable gramophones in the very early 20th century. Well, you see, I was, a story about this woman who swims the channel called Lily Smith. And she swims the channel and in the book he says that she sustained herself physically with beef tea, grapes and rice pudding and with a gramophone on her pilot boat which played exhilarating tunes. As she we see, we see that's, the that's the beauty of the, the wind-up gramophone is it was wind-up. You didn't yeah. have electricity. So, you know, that... Yeah, you know, Bertie Wooster, or you know, characters in Brideshead Revisited, yeah. would take a gramophone, you know, to go and lie down by the river, wouldn't they? And have a, right. a picnic, 
and play yeah. a few records because they could just wind it up, you know, whenever. Like the original you need. Dixieland jazz band or something. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And there's another interesting thing. Was it talks about the first DJ, and I think you know about this guy, a guy called Christopher Stone. All right, yeah. Generally thought of as being the first DJ. Wireless was invented in 1920, and in 1927, the BBC BBC started, I think, in 22 or something. And in 27, he's given his own show. And the idea is that it's billed as a recital of gramophone records arranged by Mr. Christopher Stone. Mm-hmm. And this is a sort of chummy old song. He, sort of said, he said, I grew up, you might say, with a song in my heart. And there's this kind of amiable chat in between the records. And that becomes the first actual DJ show. And it's so successful that he went off and started to perform live. So he did a whole week at the London Palladium where he took the stage and topped the bill with various comedians underneath it. And his thing was just playing records, you know. At one point, he played a record backwards. I'm not quite sure what the point of this was, but it was La Donna e Mobile by Caruso. Right, yeah. He plays it backwards, you know, to prove the wonderful versatility of the, uh, of the record. But I love that, though. He had 12,000 discs. And I think he's genuinely thought of as being the man who invented the concept of DJ. Not only DJing, live and out there uh, you know on the circuit but 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 doing his own own program on the radio talking about mobile music funny thing happened to me yesterday go on i went as you know for the first time in over four months into the west end of london that was my great adventure i've been i've just been craving to go into the west end of london just to see what it was like you know I know you went earlier on during lockdown. You went on your bike. Well, I don't... I've I'm, been all over I'm, London. I'm, bike, I'm a bit yeah. too far away to do that. But anyway, um, so I took my by accommodation of overground train and Shanks's pony. Uh, I got into the West End. And I was walking down German Street on my way back to take a book back to the library. And I thought, it's really unusual sound in German Street. It's a busker. Because busking in you know, German Street, they, they keep a very tight ship down there. And um, and buskers nowadays, you know, they, they announce themselves by the sound of amplified music, don't they? It's not it's not yeah. a it's not a warm little acoustic sound, is it? It's a booming kind of, you know, ignore me if you dare kind of over amplified thing. And I thought, is this happening down German Street? Well, I'll walk a bit faster and get away from it. They just this music kept up with me. And I walked down to St. James's Square and it was still keeping up with me. This music, I was getting something really kind of cross, really. And I turned around and there's some, there some person I can only describe as a twat. He's <laughs> walking down the street, middle of the day, he's wearing a suit, he's carrying <coughs> some sort of you know, 21st century descendant of the boombox. He's playing some horrible kind of, I don't know, sub-Ed Sheeran singer-songwriter. Who is he doing that for, for crying out loud? And why can't he do it for himself? You know, why can't he put the phones on? Physically assault him, you know. Did you have a word? You see, you can't have a word with something like that. Because part of the reason they're doing it is that they want you to have a go and they've got some prepared answer which they're going to unleash. Or worse, or worse than a prepared answer. That's true. Um, So, yeah, that was um, that was the low point of my uh, of my adventure in the West End yesterday. But how thrilling! Because you did you did twelve miles. You walked twelve miles. I walked twelve miles. I went into a record shop. 
I went and bought a book at um, uh, what do you call it? Daunts in Marylebone High Street, and uh, yeah, and I, I when I came back, I was absolutely exhausted, as you can imagine. As you would be after twelve miles. It's, a, it's, it's ridiculously. <laughs> I worked out that that's that's the same as walking from your house in uh, in in, uh, in Old Southgate to Wembley Stadium. That's a long way. Yeah, that would be yeah considerably less pleasant that journey because it takes you a long time the North Circular, yeah. which I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to anybody. But anyway, so I've um, you know satisfied my curiosity about the West End. I shall go back then. I think I'll return because shops. I mean, they got staff in them, you know, and they're just looking out the window, you know, looking out the door, you know, casting, you know, sort of. Flirtatious looks of potential <laughs> shoppers. Please, God, giving you the come on, give you the crooked cr- finger, and just you know, buy something, anything, you know. And I have great sympathy for them. Um, maybe it's it's pubs around here, pubs are open, but there's nobody really in them. Maybe that's just because Chiswick in West London isn't the kind of most hopping part of the world in terms of. Uh, I really felt like I was disappearing into a pub and having a pint of Guinness. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. We should mention before we go that we did Graham Park. We talked to Graham Park for a word in your attic. The other day. We it did. Was fantastic, I thought. Fantastic. It was terrific. Well, we oh. also did Will Birch this week, didn't we? Did we mention? Yeah, yeah. He was also um, extremely good. Uh, they've all but, been wonderful. But I thought Grandpa there was so many good bits in it. Not least the bit where he's talking about scaring off bears with fireworks in his garden. Yeah. He lives in the Catskills. That's great. Yeah. Which makes it seem a bit tame living around here. But there's a bit where he talked very movingly about. It. He said, "I think I'm retired now. I, 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 don't, I can't imagine I'm, I'm, I'm ever going to tour again." And Parliament doesn't miss it. And he talked about the business of going to sound checks. I thought it was very moving. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've just no idea what it's like arriving time after time, <laughs> four o'clock in the afternoon, in some kind of gloomy, sticky hall of floored. Smell, floor. of, smell of last night's beer. Smell of old beer. That's right. You know, and having to sit there and try out the microphones. He said, on you know, often on your own or with your driver or whatever. You know, but he said mm-hmm. that's a, it's a very dispiriting thing. And I thought that was really well put. You know, and it just reminded me of Nick Lowe talking about. Trying to um, trying to enliven the whole touring process, and he said they had this wonderful game. I think I've told this before. This wonderful game that they, when they were on the tour bus, particularly going around America, they what they do before they set off is that they would go out and they would put a colour or their initials on the on the on the wheel hub, the nut, the wheel nut on the hub of one of the wheels on the front of their tour bus. Right, so they'd write their name in it on a cuss state that was their their nut, and they would put their marker on it. And then they'd all put twenty dollars in a hat, and when they got to the venue, they would rush out, and the person whose nut was closest to the venue won all the money. <laughs> Do you think that's fantastic? Is that a brilliant way of kind of just generally keeping the old uh, balloon in the air? And keeping oh, the spirits dear, up? Right. You're sitting there on this long and interminable journey, you think, well, at the end of all this, I could still be winning one hundred and sixty dollars. Great. It's good, isn't it? it? It really does stress how absolutely everything, apart from the show, is unbelievably boring, isn't it? Yeah. For the people who just do, do it all the time. Not exciting. All the kind of things that, that we as kind of dilettantes find exciting. Yeah. They just, they just can't the journeys, see the, the hotels. 
the hanging around, the meeting people. None of that. The sense of impermanence. We like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, it's a change from our normal life. Whereas for them, it's, oh, God, why would anybody <laughs> want to do that? Has it done it a million times? Yes, yes. So, well, anyway, will it ever come back in the light of... Um, there's a great piece in Rolling Stone of people talking about it, Bruce Springsteen and people, and they all talk about it. And you think, well, it's nothing to do with the money. You know, it's to do with their, it's their livelihood. It's the structure. It's a central structure. What they are. It's what they, it's what they do for a living. It's what they are. Well, it's like we've said, if that was we've said, me, we've said millions though. of times, haven't we, on this podcast, that people ask, why do people keep on doing it? And the reason they keep on doing it is if you could keep on doing it, you keep on doing it. You could keep on doing it. Because it's it's a reason for living, isn't it? Completely. <laughs> and Completely. and if you if you're Bruce Springsteen, in the end, what is Bruce Springsteen's most significant talent? Is it to write songs? No. Is it no, to play no. guitar? No. Is it to sing? No. His 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 overriding talent is he can light up a room like nobody else. Yeah. And once you can't do that anymore, well, that must be really upsetting. Really, I, I think so. And he's sitting there thinking, we just don't know. We're, that's the big problem. We're completely uncertain of what the future's going to hold. And that must, be, that must be hard. Very, very hard. Very hard. Two new patrons, Dave. Okay. We mentioned yep. A.V. Chowdhury. Right, hello. Andrew David Nelson. Thank you very much. Nice to, nice to have you. We should mention, actually, we did our first birthday recording uh, the other day with uh, one of our subscribers. Alan Williams, who was terrific. Oh, we, did. we did a little word we did. erratic with him. When he was we broke. did, yes. So if it's yeah, if you're if you're uh, on the right level at Patreon, uh, we could be doing the same for you. Come your birthday, whenever that is, and uh, and we've got the usual quiz on Friday night, six o'clock quiz on Friday night. See how you can climb the leaderboard by um, by engaging in completely empty tests of your command of pop music trivia sad i know but it keeps <laughs> us all going we like it this podcast was brought to you by the word hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.